You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Goes on to say, not only do they do it, they approve of those who commit the same acts. They say, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Listen, you don't want to forfeit eternal riches that God wants everybody to have for some physical desire that will not last. Esau, for a single meal, sold his inheritance. Maybe think twice about handing over your eternal inheritance. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Danny, he reminds you about the biblical story of Jacob and Esau. Esau gave his inheritance away to his brother Jacob for a meal. Pastor Danny encourages you that no matter how tempting some physical desire is, don't trade it for what's eternal. Temporal physical appetites can't compare to the glorious eternal inheritance that God has in store for you. Focus on what's eternal. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 with today's edition of The Living Word. We go back once again to verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. We read those in the rest of the chapter last week, and the rest of the chapter basically contrasts the old covenant of law where God comes down on Mount Sinai, scares the living daylights out of the people, including Moses. He was trembling with fear. And that old covenant of law, which condemns, creates fear. With the new covenant, we've come to Mount Zion, the thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus' blood speaks mercy and grace. Abel's blood speaks judgment uh, on Cain because he had killed his brother. And so in light of all that God's done for us, we get these encouraging words. And we looked at one last week, see to it that no one misses the grace of God, And then no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. This week we take the second statement, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Now leave the text, go all the way back to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis chapter 
27. Chapter 27, Genesis, verse 1. When Isaac, that's the father of Jacob, and Esau was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I'm now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. The blessing he's talking about is the blessing of the firstborn son. Esau is the firstborn son. He is to get much more inheritance than any of the other children. But with Esau and Jacob, what was normal was not what God had in mind. You go back to chapter 25 and verse 23, God speaks to Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau, because she's got twins in her womb, Esau and Jacob, they're jostling. And she says, Lord, what's going on with these kids? And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. The firstborn will serve the younger one. When they were born, if you know the story, Esau comes out first. He's hairy. He's a hairy baby. I'm envious. He comes out first, but when he comes out, his brother, Jacob, is grabbing his heel because Jacob's trying to get out first. And they rightly named Jacob, Jacob, heel grabber. But Esau is technically the firstborn, but prophetically, Jacob will have the blessing of the firstborn. The older will serve the younger. Now, Isaac would have known that. So here's the question. Why in the world is Isaac, as an old dad, an old man, <laughs> saying to his son Esau, go out and give me some of that wild game and fix the kind of food I like, and then I'll give you my blessing, the blessing of the firstborn. Why in the world would he do that? He knew the prophecy. Well, you just keep reading in Genesis 25, and you have the answer. Verse 27, the boys, Jacob and Esau, grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, obviously, they both loved their kids, but what it's saying is the favorite of dad was Esau. He's a man's man. He's the hairy guy. In our culture, he'd have been the middle linebacker. And so even though he knew the prophecy, Isaac wants to give Esau the blessing because Esau is the favorite son. Interesting, when God prophesies something, he never violates human will. You know that, right? In other words, the prophecy that the older would serve the younger, Esau and Jacob, uh, God never manipulated somebody's will in order to have that accomplished. This soap opera story, chapter 27 Verse 5 continues like this. Now, Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. And when Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her own son Jacob, her favorite, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. And amazingly, Rebekah goes on to help her son Jacob deceive her husband and Jacob's dad, Isaac, 
into getting the blessing, which they didn't have to do that because God had already prophesied it. When Esau finds out what happens, chapter 27, verse 41 says this, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of my mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. What did Hebrews say? Don't be like Esau, godless like Esau, godless. For a single meal, he sold his inheritance. The inheritance is more than earthly. It speaks of an eternal inheritance as well. He sold his inheritance for a single meal. You read the whole story. One day when Esau is coming back uh, from hunting, and he's famished. He's so famished that Jacob has made this stew, and he says to his brother, give me some stew. I'm going to die. I'm about to die. And Jacob says, okay, I'll give you some stew, but you sell me your birthright. And Esau said, well, what good is my birthright if I'm going to die? I'm, I'm famished. I'm starving to death. And so he says, okay, give me some of the stew. And Jacob does. And Esau, for a single meal, lost so much. I don't believe Esau was saved. I think Scripture backs that up. He's called godless. Don't be godless like Esau. The word translated in 1 Timothy 1.9 in the King James, Old King James Version says profane, profane. And Paul uses it there in 1 Timothy 1.9 in this way, that the law is not made for righteous men, but for the profane or the godless like Esau. If you read the story, he married out of the will of God. He became bitterly, bitterly. He hated his brother Jacob, says when dad dies, I'm going to kill my brother for what he did. Godless. And one of the most chilling statements about Esau from our text is this, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights. Another interesting statement about Esau in the text from Hebrews is this, afterward, after he, for a single meal, sold his inheritance. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, when he realized what a mistake he had made, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. It's a sad picture of someone who's weeping, wanting what they've lost over a bad decision. But now, King James says he found no place of repentance. ESV, the New Modern Translation, says he found no place to repent. Now, that's mysterious, but that's what the Bible says. Do you realize the truth that... You or I could never be saved if God didn't grant us repentance toward salvation. Acts 11, verse 18, when the gospel was going beyond the circumcised Jews to the uncircumcised Gentiles, and uh, word goes that, man, a lot of these Gentiles are receiving Christ as Savior. They're getting saved. And it says in Acts eleven eighteen 18, that the, the Jews were marveling that God had granted repentance to the Gentiles, even without them having to be circumcised or adopting Jewish customs. John 6, Jesus said, nobody comes to me unless the father draws him. You don't just wake up one day and say, I think I'll become a Christian. You don't get near the end of your life as an old person if you live that long and say, I think I'll just become a Christian. You don't end up in a hospital room and decide, I think I'll just become a Christian. You can't become a Christian unless God grants you repentance 
and leads you to salvation. Now, that's a bit mysterious, but that's what the Bible says. Now, with that said, God doesn't want anybody to perish. God doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants to grant repentance. But sometimes uh, we make choices, and based on those choices, God says, okay, you want it that way? That's what I'll give you. I'll give you what you want. More mysterious passages in places like Romans chapter 1. And here's what it says. Let me just read it for you. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. You go a couple of verses more. Verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. That's what you want? Okay, that's what you got. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. Lesbianism, homosexuality. You read a couple more verses, and it says, verse 28, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. goes on to say not only do they do it, they approve of those who commit the same acts. They say, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Listen, you don't want to forfeit eternal riches that God wants everybody to have for some physical desire that will not last. Esau, for a single meal, sold his inheritance. Now, let me turn the corner, flip the coin. I think Esau was lost. I don't think you'll see him in heaven. I think Scripture backs that up. But it's written primarily for believers, even though there are things in these texts for unbelievers. You know, don't miss salvation. Don't be like Esau. But someone is truly saved, genuine Christian. Even a genuine believer can make bad choices that cause them great harm in this life and loss of reward in the one to come. King David, after his relationship and subsequent sin that followed his relationship, sinful relationship with Bathsheba, started a string of unfortunate events for himself and his family. Samson, you look at the 20 years of his ministry recorded in the Bible, he made one bad decision after another that ultimately led him to being bound, blind, in a prison, imprisoned by the enemy, and going around in circles, going nowhere. Well, let me ask you this. What is it? What is it that causes us to make bad decisions in life? What is it? James chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Uh, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when? By his own evil desire. He's dragged away. Hell don't even have to be involved. And then he's enticed. Now that's where hell comes in. Satan entices us. But we have our own natural ungodly desires. We're born with them. We're born with them. The old King James calls it simply the flesh. The NIV that I teach from calls it simply the sinful nature. Let me read you a couple more scriptures. Galatians chapter 5 Verse 13, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, the flesh. Galatians 5, verse 17, uh, for the sinful nature, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you 
want if you're following the Spirit. Verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, and there are many, but the first one listed, interestingly, is sexual immorality. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Now, Esau, for a single meal, sold his inheritance. So in order to satisfy his physical desire, he lost out on so much. There's one physical appetite that every one of us is going to have to deal with. <laughs> it's that three-letter word, sex, but specifically sexual immorality. And I like to, when I talk about uh, this kind of message, I always like to remind us, hell didn't create sex. Heaven did. God created sex, but sin has perverted it. Sin has perverted it. Let me just talk to you honestly about sexual temptation, okay? Sexual temptation. It's unique in a lot of ways. Uh, first of all, it's unique because it's a God-given desire. No matter what your background. God-given. Second, it's universal in its appeal. Because it's a God-given desire. It doesn't matter where you come from. doesn't matter what language you speak, what culture. Listen, around the globe, everybody's got to deal with this. Everybody got to deal with it. Universal. Let me tell you a third one. I still haven't come to terms with all this verse means, but 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says, if I sin sexually, I sin against my own body. I sin against my own body. So I'm sinning against my own body when I sin sexually. Well, let me give you one more. It is extremely potent. You say, what does potent mean? Well, it means powerful. It means persuasive. Powerful. Persuasive. Man after God's own heart, King David, who we saw last week overcame the temptation for a bitter root against that fool named Nabal. And that's what his name means, fool. Same man who resisted that bitter root fell to lust and adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. Same man. Joseph, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery in Egypt. When you read the story, it's so fascinating to me. The first recorded temptation that Joseph faced down in Egypt was what? <laughs> Potiphar is his owner. Joseph is Potiphar's slave, and the Bible says, loosely translated, it would be this. Joseph was a hunk. He was well-built and handsome, and Potiphar's wife took notice of him and day after day tried to get Joseph in bed with her, tried to seduce him. And day after day, Joseph resisted. And it's interesting, the first recorded temptation for young Joseph, 17 years old, 17 years old, was sexual temptation. 999 men out of 1,000 might have fallen. Thank God Joseph didn't. Because he's far away from home, and God gave him a dream that he'd be exalted above his brothers and his own mom and dad one day, and now he's down in Egypt as a slave. He's got to be perplexed and looking for love, a little intimacy, a little relief. And here this woman's coming at him down in Egypt. My goodness, how many guys wouldn't say, I've been looking for this situation all my life. And Joseph resisted repeatedly. Samson, you look at his life, 
You study his life, and he had several weaknesses, but one of his greatest weaknesses, you know what it was? It was a weakness for women. Women out of the will of God. That's how the story starts off in the book of Judges about Samson. He fell in love with a woman out of the will of God for his life. And he has one string of relationships after another. You know, the final uh, downfall of Samson, how did it come about? Through a woman named Delilah. Another woman out of the will of God in his life. You fast forward. Uh, by the way, Old Testament prophets, repeatedly you hear their voices calling Israel away from the rampant sexual sin that they had gotten involved in. Matter of fact, when Satan couldn't get them any other way as they're headed for the promised land, you read about Balaam, that sorcerer. And while he couldn't put a curse on them, he did come up with a plot hatched in hell to send out the Moabite women and invite the Israelite men to their church services. And over 24,000 men fell to sexual immorality that day. Amazing. Fast forward to the New Testament, the church of Corinth, all kinds of spiritual gifts being manifested in this church. And yet... They were carnal. They were fleshly. They were given into their carnal nature, so much so that a guy in the church was having a sexual relationship with his father's wife, and the church wasn't doing anything about it. Jude describes some men in the early church who were, and I quote, blemishes by heaven's perspective, blemishes or zits, if you will, at your love feast. People coming to the meetings. And it describes them as those like ancient Sodom and Gomorrah, who, I quote, gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. You get to the book of Revelation, the last book in the, in the Bible. And seven letters to seven churches, and two of those churches that Jesus spoke to had rampant sexual sin in their midst that needed to be dealt with. It's powerful, persuasive. Every time I... Think about the 30 years I've been in ministry and the scores of people I've seen fall to this, this temptation. A fellow years ago that was prominent, worship leader in a prominent Calvary Chapel. Years ago, he's actually come and played here. It was discovered he had had a, for quite a while, a number of years, a relationship with, I think it was a secretary, but it was another lady in the church. Ruined his ministry. Brought havoc on his family. Guy in our own Calvary House discipleship ministry years ago, one of his services in the church was driving the golf cart around, you know, picking up people in the parking lot. And another lady in the church was also a part of that ministry, and we had no idea. They struck up a relationship. Next thing we know, they're leaving town together. They left town together. Another very prominent leader in the movement of Calvary Chapel if I told you some of the characteristics of his life and how God's used him in the past, you'd know who it is. And he planted a church and got involved with some young lady in the church and left his wife. It's just sad. I think about my own family. I think about my kids. I go to places like Proverbs. By the way, pray for your kids every day. Pray for your kids every day. And doesn't matter how you failed. You don't want them to fail. Whether you failed or not, you don't want them to fail. Proverbs 5 goes like this, my son, pay attention to my wisdom, listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, sweet. Her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she's bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. 
keep to a path far from her. Today on The Living Word, Pastor Danny Hodges has been teaching through a series from the book of Hebrews. When you think about all of the really great things that life might have to offer, the book of Hebrews points to the fact that Jesus is better. He's better than the angels, better than the Old Testament law. He's better than all of the things that you think are so wonderful. When you come to that realization, then actually knowing him personally makes everything better. Do you have this kind of hope and assurance about Jesus? If not, we invite you to get in touch with us and ask us more questions about what you're hearing. You can reach us at info at ccfstpete.church. Once again, our email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Our heart's desire is for you to know Jesus in a personal way that gives you that confidence that Jesus is better. We encourage you to keep tuning into this series to learn the truths that are revealed. Before we go today, we want to mention that if you live in or near the St. Petersburg area, all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you join us for our weekend services. Just go to ccfstpete.church and get directions and service times. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. Thanks for joining us today, right here on The Living Word.